Hey everyone, welcome back to the iFlow Radio Podcast. This is David, your host of iFlow Radio here. And I'm here with Dwayne, who is an avid iFloater. And uh, he, thank you, Dwayne, for being on the iFloat Radio Podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me, David. You're welcome. And before we get started, I'm going to give a shout out to FlotationLocations.com, which is a website where you can find places to float. So if you go to FlotationLocations.com and you're looking for a place to float, you can type in where you're located. It will give you the different float centers that are located near you. And it will also give you some additional resources about floating. So check out FlotationLocations.com. They are a sponsor of the iFloat radio podcast. And now uh, let's get started, Dwayne. So to get started, let's talk about just your float today. You came in, you floated. This is your second float in two weeks. And as we were talking about a few minutes ago with some guys who were just here, You usually don't do two floats in in like a week or a week and a half usually because you were living up in Albany and we're in Westport, Connecticut. You were just coming, say, like every two or three months generally when you came home to visit. What was it like floating more closely together? I definitely felt the impact. Um, I would say that one of the issues I've been having when I had the opportunity to come down was the breathing issue in terms of me being able to... uh, control my breathing and not interrupting the stillness of the water. And I noticed that I was able to work on that today. But I also noticed that I definitely got much more out of my session than I did all the other times previously. And what I mean by that is that I literally felt like my brain, like the best way to describe it is that my brain was dropped down a well really fast. (laughs) So I felt that and I noticed even my, uh, my entire body responding to the flow and what I mean by that is that at uh, one point, I literally, I literally felt my body on its own pulling itself under the water to the point where only a circular area around my nose was, was available. And But for, even though it felt weird because I'm used to being the type of person that wants to be in control of my, what, everything that I'm doing, it was the same time very liberating because my body was just enjoying the moment typically when i floated previously it'd be more of a mental thing but this time it was actually equal experience in terms of my mind being able to rest but my body as well so it was good <laughs> long story short and they're interconnected because one of the things i talk to people about is that our mind really goes all the way up to the tips of our fingers and the tips of our toes because the nervous system travels all the way through there. So whatever you're experiencing physically, you're also experiencing mentally. And so for those people listening, this is a really good illustration of the importance of doing regular floating if people are able to do so because it really allows people to sink into the experience more deeply and to let go more. Because that's one of the challenges of floating is is being able to, to let go. And as I was mentioning earlier to the guys who just left, when I first started floating, I used to float pretty much three to four times a month. I had a standing appointment every afternoon, a certain day in the week. 
And it was helpful to have that regularity because there was something I could measure myself with and measure like where my mind was and my progress. And, and it's true, there's that saying that first you have to learn how to travel and then you travel to learn because when we first go learn how to travel, like if we're traveling abroad or something, there's a certain way in which a person can travel more easily. They become more flexible, they learn how to pack, they learn how to navigate places even if they don't know how to learn, if they don't know the language. And as a person becomes more at ease with traveling, whether it's abroad or within the U.S., there is more freed up circuitry in their mind to be more open to the learning experience of their travels. So, but um, anyways, so now the other piece for you is not only did you float close back to back, but you're also in a different reality than you were when you were doing the previous flow sessions for the most part. So talk a little bit about what's been going on for you in terms of your change. So um, first and foremost, um, I, I got a new job or I, I started a new phase of my career. That's a better way to describe it. So which allowed me, gave me the opportunity to move back to Connecticut where I'm originally from, be closer to family. And I think that now, particularly in terms of what you were saying, I realized that that also has been impacting I would not only say the quality, but also the experience of my floating, because I realized where I lived previously in terms of not only what I did professionally, but in terms of even my downtime, it was still a very stressful environment. So I think just having, and not to say that life doesn't have its demands currently, but it's just a totally different type of environment. Well, as, as I was jokingly ref- referring to you earlier, it was funny because the two guys that were here earlier were from New York, and we're not far from New York. We're like literally like 40 minutes from, from New York. Uh, a lot of people from New York come here, but the guys who are here are from New York. So when I introduced you, I referred to you as a political hatchet man. <laughs> but of course, I'd be very dramatic because I just finished watching Game of was House of Cards. And it's such a great show, and it's very dramatic, so it's like, well, why don't I refer to you as a political hatchet? I mean, that sounds so cool. But we've talked a lot about that, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about your experience. What Now that you've finished working in that arena, can you reflect a little bit about like what you've learned about politics? Yeah, sure. Um, the interest, the, One of the biggest lessons I learned is that what they teach you in the academic sense is really just a very big, big, very, very inaccurate view. Let's just put it, be, be quite honest. Uh, and what I mean by that is that politics is driven by personalities and the personalities typically drive the agenda. So, and that's something that, at least in my experience, I didn't see discussed very much either in my undergraduate or my graduate programs. So you learn about the personalities in terms of how they go about operating, how to build coalitions. That's another very important part of politics. Nothing is typically done by one person. Things Votes are corralled together and people vote in the block regardless of what party they're in. So you get to see that experience. You And, and then on a larger level, you really get to see the dynamics of human nature. <laughs> for, for better and for worse. So you see all those different things coming into play. And then as a person that started my career in politics but now has moved to a position that's more on the outside you get to be on you get to see the the impact of the actions on either the particular um, organization you work for or the society as a whole so i would say that working in politics there's many many 
many lessons that I learned. And unfortunately, our country is moving into a particular um, phase where the political process is really going to determine the future of our people, whether that be for the good or the bad. What do you mean by that? Um, if you take a look at a lot of things, my experience has been typically on the state level, state level politics, but there's definitely a lot of interplay between what goes on on the federal level, the state level, and the local level, and also foreign policy-wise. And I think if you take a look at what's been going on, particularly in terms of our economy and the large shifts you see in terms of America deindustrializing, going from a factory-based economy to a more finance or service-driven economy, there, there are larger implications for that. If you take a look at our foreign policy in terms of our interventions in various countries and the spending and the blowback that comes from that, those also have long-term ramifications. And if you even take a look at what's going on with our society as a whole, the underperformance of our education system as a whole, the fact that people are no longer, many people are no longer correcting, um, connecting to the established institutions, particularly religious institutions, you're seeing a, a number of major societal shifts that when you take it all together, it means that America is definitely coming a very different place from what everyone's been used to. Mm. The, there are different facets of your experience in politics that, that, that we've talked about. Some of them are like the macro level stuff that you were just discussing. And some of them are more like the, ma- the micro level stuff, which are the, the human interactions. And when you were talking earlier about the change in your career, it's interesting because a few days ago, there was someone actually doing a video testimonial here. His name is Jamie. And he and his wife, Grayson, come here. And he just went through a transition as well. And, mm-hmm. and he was talking about how the floating has helped him slow down enough to even be able to consider consider a different way of being in the world in terms of like how he makes his money or how he does his career, things like that. And... And I can reflect back on my experiences floating, especially when I first started floating, when I would sometimes experience discord within myself that I didn't really quite know was there. And so when I slowed down, I would have experiences like the difficulty breathing, which was pointing at discord within myself. And then uh, for me, it was more like personal relationships. And so I had to resolve those things. But when I did resolve them, then then the breathing got easier. Can, can you uh, identify with any of that? Actually, yeah, I was actually shaking my head yes the entire time. <laughs> and it's interesting that you talk about it from that perspective because as you were saying it, it came together for me. And what I mean by that is that one thing that I've come to notice about me is that the relationships you have with people, whether it be in the past or the present, still carry forward in terms of the, emo- the emotional baggage, or even the spiritual baggage. And the interesting thing that I've been doing is essentially been cutting cords with a lot of people. And it's not because they're bad or I have ill feelings towards them, but I realize I've grown to a point where this is the person that I'm going to be, as in my value system and the path that I've chosen for myself. And there are certain people that just don't belong, don't, shouldn't come along with me on that, on that road or that journey. And again, it's not to say that they're bad or whatever. It's just to say that there's emotional and spiritual baggage that needs to be let go in order for you to grow to a better person or to a higher level. And how did floating help you when you were working in politics? How did you find it helpful in navigating those those tricky interpersonal relationships up there? 
I can definitely say one of the major benefits of floating has helped me to understand that many times when people are being negative or nasty to you, in most situations, it really has nothing to do with you. And one of the benefits of floating is it helped me to slow down and see the bigger picture. When someone's speaking to me in a disrespectful tone, or someone is yelling at me, or someone is even ripping down another person, it made me really analyze what was going on. Because typically, when you get that type of negative energy or that negative behavior, you become defensive and you want to react. You want to either get that person away or you want to hurt that person. And I can definitely say in terms of floating, it helped me to change my reaction to, okay, I'm here with this person, but how I react to this person, how I interpret what they're doing is really going to dictate the outcome. And if I'm working in a political environment where I have to communicate with this person, either negotiate or communicate information or get them to be a part of a coalition, that I have to be able to see the bigger picture. And I can definitely say floating helped me to do that. You can see that this person, for example, some people, there's so, there, I've encountered people in politics who are so used to either being treated badly or not being listened to that when they finally got that title or they finally got that power, it was a way for them to get back. But the interesting thing is that most of the people that did that to them in their past experiences were no longer in the picture. So who was suffering? Their subordinates, other individuals who just happened to be there or, or because of how they spoke or how they looked, they represented those past characters. I, I was envisioning earlier having a secret room like in the, in the like state capitol, you know, that would have a float tank in it. And there'd be like this like mafia that you could hire to like kidnap people and put them in the float tank and they, they wouldn't be able to leave they just have to stay there for like an hour or two hours or three hours or whatever so people like the ones you're talking about and don't you think that would make all the difference <laughs> i think it would i mean and the interesting thing is like i said working in politics really shows you human nature at its rawest form and its best and at its worst you really do see how people's experiences um their insecurities whether it be about gender, race, socioeconomic status, education, um, where they come from, the, the dialect or the accent they speak, how all these little things that you that most to most people you think are small really impact how um, in individuals drive, how they present themselves, how they react to adversity, how they deal with conflict. So for me personally, I think floating has really helped me to um, deal with those situations and those individuals in a much healthier way as opposed to internalizing much of that that negativity you realize like well this person actually treats everyone like that not just me or this person when you hear them speak you can hear the uncertainty in their voice so they're, they're not necessarily unsure what they're talking about but they're unsure of themselves so that's the reason why they're so defensive have you ever had the experience of somehow being able to like crack through a person's defenses so that they actually adjust the way that they're treating people based upon the way that you're treating them. Did that ever happen to you? In yes, I can. The funny thing is I had that experience in all the different um, various phases of my professional career. And many times it takes you being a, not even the bigger person, but a brave person. Um, I've worked particularly speak about a past supervisor when I first met him I knew he did not necessarily did not like me 
but he did not want me to be a part of his team. And I felt that. And I'm like, how am I going to overcome this? So I would always present myself, always, when I come in the morning, say good morning. Whenever I'm going to a meeting or just some critical piece of information that I felt he would know, need to know, I will tell him. And I'll also, I, and the thing about it is, another thing people always need to keep in um, back of their heads is that someone is always watching you. And through those, through those actions and him actually observing how I treated my fellow employees, I actually not only began to win him over, but by the time at my, my, my end of my professional experience, he said, you were my right hand. Man. He's like, anytime I told you something, and this is not about me as a working professional, but even I noticed his behavior towards me changed. Because when I first started working for him, he was very defensive. Any little thing he would point out, uh, but after a while, through how I treated him, and just as important how he observed me treating other people, I was able to not necessarily win him over, but to get him to see me in a more fair, in, in my opinion, more fair sense. You know, the, what I'm seeing as you talk about that is that here you are interacting with, with another person, both of whom you're both working in, in the political sphere, hmm. in the capital of New York. And so, in your own personal opinion, how does, how does you being able to enhance that relationship over time mm-hmm. affect politics in, in, in the state of New York? I mean, if you were just kind of reflect on that, like how does that interpersonal relationship that you were cultivating actually help the political process? I think on an individual level, many of those small things do help on a larger level. And I'll give you a good example. Um, in the legislature, you have the elected officials who have their staff. And in the day-to-day operations are typically done by the staff. The elected officials will make the final decision or the larger decisions, but it's their staff members, the analysts, the chief of staff, the legislative directors. They're the ones that do the groundwork in terms of legislation, writing the legislation, preparing um, the talking points, and also the negotiating points as well. And one of the things, small little things that can have a huge impact is, what's the relationship between your counterpart? What is your relationship between, if you're a chief of staff, what is your relationship with the chief of staff and the other political party? Or, or the, if you're working for the chairman or the chairwoman, your relationship with the, the rankers um, equivalent. And many times those small interpersonal relationships where just because this person is a Democrat or Republican doesn't mean you automatically hate them, actually has a large impact on the outcome of the political process, whether it be, means in terms of how a bill is drafted, how people vote, whether or not people debate debate the actual legislation, because debates can, um, in themselves can be very, very, very contentious, depending upon the strategy and the agenda of those uh, individuals that are present. In my sense is that it can also be contentious just because of a conversation that goes awry. Of course. If, if there's two people who get in a conversation and it doesn't go well, then it can result in there sometimes even being a debate that doesn't really need to be happening. It's okay. almost like they're debating something that's other than the actual issue at hand. And, and I'm glad you made that point because that's another major lesson I learned from working in politics is that perception is everything. And particularly when you're dealing with elected, not just elected officials, but anyone um, in a position, in a position of power has a title that has not only prestige, but also the eye of the public perception particularly them appearing weak is something that you that can have major impact 
So let's say the two people come to me and they shake each other's hands. Depending on the body language or what's small little things that are said back and forth, whether it's passive aggressive or unintentional, can have a also the flip side have a huge negative impact on the entire process. It makes me again go back to this idea of having float tanks in areas where people are are doing politics because if you really think about it how often are 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 the things people arguing about more their own internal frustrations that they're projecting out to other people whether it's with one person or several people which then is is impeding the political process and getting things approved and i mean people it appears are often arguing about more of their own frustrations than about the actual issue at hand and if they were able to slow down or, or, or maybe we should make a law that politicians have to float like they have to float once a week in order for them to get their payment whether it's congressmen, senators at the federal and state level that that should be required because then they'd have to be dealing with themselves and it's a very peaceful thing nobody's impeding them in their flow session they're all having to slow down and deal with themselves and imagine if they if they came out they would probably be a little bit more receptive to the views of other people. I think that, I think that um, way of thinking or that strategy would be applicable to everyone in this country or on, on the face of the earth. And I, I totally agree. And like I said previously, that was one of the really big benefits professionally of floating where you really get a chance to say, well, mm, like as you were saying, what this person is talking about really has nothing to do with the context of the situation. Many times what they're doing is transferring negative energy that they received onto someone else. And, and what I mean by that is that I've seen it happen many times, <laughs> either to fellow staff or to myself, where the particular person that you're preparing to meet with had in previous meetings, back to back to back all day. And the previous meeting went horribly, or they heard something they did not want to hear. And they come in, you see them walk through the door, you look in their eye. They're on fire. (laughs) You know it's not going to go well. You could be telling them, hey, you know, you just won $10,000. But you know it's not going to go well. And you know there's about to be some transfer of that negative energy, that frustration onto you. It's interesting because there's another guy that came here about two weeks ago. And he used to float here a lot when we first opened. And then he and his wife got really busy and he just started floating again. But one of the things he was talking about was how we have a lot of processes put in place for when people hurt their bodies. So if somebody sprains an ankle, there's a procedure. If they break an arm, there's a procedure. And we have all those set up in place for people to take care of when their body gets injured. He said, but we don't really have a whole lot of procedures in place to heal our minds. There are things like counseling and social services and things like that. But he, he's astounded that more people aren't doing things like floating because if somebody has gone through a bunch of meetings throughout the day and they've been very combative and their mind is really clogged up with, with a lot of different stuff, it makes sense in my view for them to take an hour out of the day and go and slow down and sort through these things and, and let, let certain things be eliminated adjust the way they're, they've oriented themselves towards certain things so that when they go into like this like the last part of the day for like a meeting with you for example that they are no longer overloaded with all the stuff that, that goes on because politics is 
not only challenging in terms of logical reasoning, but it's very emotional. People get very dramatic in politics. That's part of how politics happens. But that's all unconscious stuff. So people are transmitting that to one another, and they're overloading one another in these meetings. And how, do, how can they actually sift through that? There's not an easy way for them to sift through that, even if they were just to kind of look out the window, if they were actually able to, to slow down. And I really believe, of course, I'm biased because here I am running a flow center, and it's not like I want them to be my flow centers, but I could, I could really see a change in our society for people to actually be taking the time to make it part of the landscape for people to be going into things like flotation tanks to sort out what's really going on so they can they can heal their mind mm -hmm. and therefore be actually more of a, a a change agent like an actual change agent whether it's in politics or whatever instead of being a reactive agent because that seems to be what's going on a lot it's a lot of like pinball if i if i watch the news and i observe the politicians talking oftentimes there's a lot of anger that's being transmitted and it's not anger that's being transmitted in a constructive way it's more just like well we're just going to argue for the sake of arguing and and i think a lot of people are very numb to it a lot of people are just turned off on observing politicians because it's almost like they're just talking and arguing about a lot of like nothingness and i think that's a fair, fair assessment um and i just like to add that Many times it's not just them saying things just because they, they're angry. Many times they'll, people, not, and this is people in general, people will say things to get a rise out of you. <laughs> they'll say, they'll try, the best way I can describe it is that they'll try to get that dagger to hit you with it. So even, I would say even the benefits of floating is anticipating that. There's, there's certain people, and I, and I also want to relate back to the point you were saying about societal change. That unfortunately don't look that look at taking care of yourself on either an emotional and or a spiritual level as some is, is a sign of weakness. And I think particularly with a lot of men, there's that perception. And if you take a look at the men that typically, and this is applicable to all genders, but if you take a look at a lot of the men that are in politics, they tend to be the typical alpha males. So I think in terms of getting people to be more willing to take care of their minds, there has to be a societal change. In terms of looking at the fact that taking care of yourself, not just physically in terms of working out, but on an emotional, spiritual level, is not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. Because at the end of the day, you'll be more of, more of a, a healthy space where you can be in command of your emotions and command of your brain processes to be able to see things from the proper perspective. Yeah, and interestingly, like if I look at somebody like Obama, he strikes me as someone who's very reflective. That he, he's not your your typical like let's just plow through it kind of guy. He he wants to he wants to figure everything out, he wants to reflect within. And and I read George Washington's biography this past fall, and he was incredibly reflective and incredibly spiritual as well. He he was spiritual in, in different ways. He was a Freemason, but he also had different it appears like threads of spirituality that he drew upon, but but he seemed to find a lot of his strength on slowing down and, and going within. And you've mentioned the word spiritual a few times, and when you've said it, I had images of people like Gandhi, for example, and, and Martin Luther King, 
and I'm reading right now uh, a biography of uh, is it bon, bon Heffer, I think he was a uh, pastor sorry an academic in Germany of theology who stood up against Hitler and actually planned uh, an assassination attempt on Hitler he was a German man he came from a well-to-do family they were intellectuals but he was very spiritually oriented and he it's not like he was raised to be a killer but as he saw what was happening in Germany he stood up against them and and stood up saying that the church should not be supporting the Nazis and what they're doing but but all these different people are people who drew upon what I would consider almost to be like a spiritual well that they then used to infuse their actions in in how do you see that happening in politics or not happening in politics today? <laughs> well, I'm not trying to say that there aren't people who are operating on that level because I have encountered people that you can you know from the moment that you meet them that they're sincere about their efforts in terms of um, either benefiting their constituents, um, changing a particular issue, or, or trying to get a particular piece of legislation passed. But it, And to add on to that, it's... I, the reason why I keep bringing up the word spiritual is because I feel that even within the floating experience, there's a huge spiritual element to it. And what I mean by that is that, as for me personally, as I think through many of these thoughts or these issues that either buried or I try to run away from, it's bringing me closer to truth. And for me, the foundation of spirituality is living in truth. So the more, the more I've, I've learned about myself, the more I've learned about my issues and why I do certain things or why I choose not to do certain things, the more I find myself living in truth. And the more I live in truth, the more I see the world clearly for what it is, but even more importantly, what it should be. What is something that you've discovered about yourself through coming here that you've maybe adjusted, if anything? So I would say one thing that I used to, that I'm still working my way through, is that it's not necessarily I'd be very defensive, but I would dig in my heels on, some, uh, on an issue because I had too much pride. And I begin to realize that there's there's a time and place for having pride because it's also a reflection of self-respect. But you should never really put your pride in front of either the people that you care about or something that's make or break. And what I mean by that is that you can have a particular argument or disagree with someone but if you're not willing to step back and say, not to say that they were wrong or you were absolutely right, but let me think about this. I'm being too emotional. There's, I've learned with, through floating, I've learned that in certain situations, it's not proper for me to address it at that time. Where, like I acknowledge what you're saying, I disagree, but give me 15 minutes, give me 30 minutes, so I can go out and get my bat and bash, you know, just kind of <laughs> have it there, just in case, just to kind of... <laughs> where, where I can get out of my emotions and get out of my head for a second and not even think about the situation because I've found many times, many times now that I'm becoming more in tune with myself that the answer is always there. But many times your, your mind or your emotion clouds that answer. So I'm, I'm learning in certain situations that it's better to step away not, and if all possible not think about the particular issue and the answer will always present itself yeah I, I agree I mean, and that's that's really what floating helps people to do is 
when they're in there, they're having to deal with themselves. And I think people recognize how powerful that is. They don't necessarily recognize it when they're in there. But again, these two guys that had just come out, they were pretty much astounded. One of them had floated for the second time, and the other one, he had brought his friend with him. But I think they were both astounded at their state of mind after being in that environment for an hour. And what it teaches us is that sometimes the way things are right now are not the way things are going to be in, say, 15 or 20 minutes after we've had time to just cool down and, and really reflect because when people spend 60 minutes floating in the in the darkness with no sound they always come out in a very different state of mind and it shows how plastic things are and so the solution may not present itself right here right now but if we can be more intuitive we can recognize that we're not going to find it right now we just need to take a break and and then move back forward or yeah, back and then forward, because what matters isn't our emotions, but the objective or what it is that we're trying to do or the relationship that we're trying to cultivate and everything like that. So, yeah. And again, as we continue to have this uh, engage in this great conversation, made me think of another example that floating has definitely helped me to do, and in the, particularly working in the political environment. Um, one of the traits that you develop if you sur- if you want to survive in that environment is to be demanding. <laughs> to exp- when you speak to someone, you speak to them with authority, and you let them know that whatever you're telling them to do needs to get done ASAP. And I think I, it got to a point where I began to internalize that mentality into all aspects of my life. It was actually harming my, the relationships that I had with certain people. And I can definitely say that I'm noticing that difference now where I'm really beginning to see the difference between the, the, the proper context or um, examples that I need to be that way and other situations where it's not that serious. <laughs> where if you tell someone to do something and if they choose not to do it, well, it's their choice. Exactly, yeah, it's, it's their choice. That reminds me of earlier today, there was someone here and she and her husband float. She floats more often than her husband does. And that's not always the case. Sometimes it's husbands float more than their wives or there's no theme or pattern to it, but that was the case in their relationship. And she had gone away with their daughters for, I think, two weeks this summer. And they had she had a float credit under her name and she told her husband, why don't you float while we're away? And what he ended up doing was working more than he usually did because his wife wasn't home, the kids weren't there. And so he just got really caught up in work and and was charging through but he ended up getting sick and he ended up really working himself too much and what we were saying today or I was saying to her is if he had if he had probably floated during that time it may have helped him slow down and approach those two weeks in a different way so maybe he would have worked an extra hour or two to catch up on things but that he would have come home earlier, he would have taken time for himself and maybe not run himself down. And, and that's not necessarily going to happen, but she agreed. And oftentimes we, we forget, we get into this autopilot of go, go, go. And when we float more, we start to recognize that there are different ways of approaching things. And if somebody isn't doing what we want them to do, we don't necessarily have to bash their head in uh, because it's not about what we want, it's about the greater objective. And sometimes there's a time and a place to really 
pull someone up short and say this really does need to get done and you need to get it done and then there are other things where it's like it's not so important but then when it comes to interpersonal relationships we have to be able to be more flow-like and recognize that the way we're interacting with someone at work is not necessarily the way we're going to interact with someone at home and even the way we interacted with someone at home yesterday isn't necessarily the way to interact with them today because we need to pay attention to what's going on for them in that moment and not be projecting what happened, say, yesterday or last week onto them. Yeah. Yeah. And it, again, as we continue to have this conversation, think about another aspect of uh, floating that uh, I didn't recognize until I started doing it is that it, it's helping me to make the best or to see the benefit to every situation. And what I mean by that is that I have a younger brother and I really don't get the, the opportunity to hang out with him as much as I would like to. So we hung out last Saturday. Um, we were supposed to go to some lounge. We went there. It was pretty dead. So, and it was on a strip. So we just walked up and down the strip for about half an hour, 45 minutes, taking a look at the various restaurants and other lounges and bars. And the, essentially the entire strip was dead. So I, our night actually ended up being cut a little short. But the interesting thing is that I wasn't disappointed. I was just like, ah, if this, if this, this is what it is. This is what it is. But as we, as you were speaking, it made me realize that I was just enjoying the opportunity to hang out with my brother, even though, and and I've noticed that even my mentality around those things has changed. Where before, if I had something planned socially with either friends or family, and it didn't go according to plan, I'm like, oh well, it wasn't fun. But now I'm starting to realize this, that it's not necessarily the activity that's important, but the people that you are there with. You're spending quality time with people who matter to you. So even as we've been talking, it made me realize, like, wow, I, I still had fun with my brother. We didn't do anything fun because all the places we went to were dead. But the fact that we were just walking and talking and catching up, it was, it was fun. Yes, you're, again, paying attention to the relationship and not to the more material aspects of what was going on. And that's always where the richness is, is in our relationships. And that's something I always talk to people about. And at first, they think it's kind of strange. But I say that floating is about relationships. When we go in there, we are sorting through how it is we're relating to the world. And sometimes we're aware of how we're sorting through and sometimes we're not. But it's hard to find someone who, after they come out of floating, who's not seeing how they can interact with the world in a more harmonious way. And by the world, I mean people, because we create our realities with other people. We don't do it on our own. Um, but uh, the one thing I wanted to ask you about was the breathing, because we, we've been discussing that at times when you've been coming to float, and it's something that has affected me a lot. In the last podcast, I interviewed Tamara, and she was talking about processing grief around her dad and a lot of times this past year I would catch myself having trouble breathing when I was floating and what it was was a reaction to grief around my father it was grief that was below the surface and even recently when I have floated at certain times I would have that kind of reaction where I would have that reflex of like I need to breathe I need to take in air because something something is wrong. And and we just recently went through a transition here at iFlow where we were able to solve a sound problem. And so a lot of my mind is shifting now 
in terms of how to allocate my time and how to do things differently. And I've had a few moments in the past week or two when I would have that reaction of like, I can't breathe. And really what it was, was places where I was resisting moving forward, moving forward from some not so great things that have been happening this past year into making things really great. And that's a place where I myself have gotten stuck in terms of patterns that didn't work well and holding on to those patterns unconsciously. And when I float, again, going back into that discord, we can meet where it is that we're in conflict with ourselves and, and make adjustments. And, and, and that, that kind of breathing reflex sometimes can be an indicator of that. Do you think, do you have any idea what, if anything, the breathing reflex has been about for you in any way? I'm actually reflecting on the, the things you were saying in terms of I need to breathe. And, and when you said that, and I, I'm, I'm also answering your question, it made me realize that it was also a reaction to me feeling the need to essentially be in control. I would feel, I would feel at times that my body tense up and that's when the breathing would come off or, or, or be off rhythm. And as you were speaking, it made me think about um, where that actually, where that, that, that cessation comes from. And I think that, um, again, working in, in politics, it, it many times could be very chaotic. So in order for you to, to, even to a certain aspect, a certain extent, you being productive and successful in your field in, with a particular assignment or the individual you're dealing with means that you have to take control. So I think even for me personally, reflecting on the things that you're saying, the breathing issues related to me not feeling in control because if I'm not in control, I think things are becoming chaotic and then things that I need to happen won't happen. And it's not to say I'm control free per se, but it made me realize that I'm in an environment where I don't control anything. It feels good. I can be relaxed. But I'm used to not being relaxed when I walk outside my door. Yeah, you, you're used to needing to be on guard for a good portion of your day every day and navigating the kind of daggers that you talked about or people trying to get a rise out of you or how do you, how do you actually influence a situation to get what you need and then when you when you go in there, you're having to sort out those those places where you are imposing your fantasy of control on situations that you cannot control. But what's interesting, because just to kind of make the connection between what you were just talking about with your brother, mm -hmm. it seems that in that situation with your brother, when you guys were walking up and down the strip, is that you weren't trying to control anything. You weren't you weren't trying to create or impose a fantasy on the situation. You were actually dealing with what was real, which was that you were having a good time with your brother and this was really slow and that was really slow and there weren't a lot of people around, but that's what was real. And what was also real was that you were spending time with your brother. And if you had imposed the fantasy of like, I want what I can't have, or if only the grass must be greener, or why isn't this, or why isn't this, or poor me, or who knows what, that if you had done that, then you would have been tense and frustrated. But my sense is because you've been facing some of those places in yourself where you impose con the fantasy of control and you've probably been resolving some of that, 
that it's probably freed up some circuitry in your mind to actually be able to deal with things in a more in a fashion in a way that's real as opposed to you know that's not and that probably allows for you to enjoy the company of others my guess is yeah yeah definitely because you realize that certain in certain situations you is you're actually better off just going with the flow or just enjoying the moment minute by minute and uh yeah yeah and paying attention to the other person instead of us projecting something that we want out into the world paying attention to what's really going on and the person across from us or the people around and do you think that that will be helpful to you or now that you've moved away from the public sector into the private sector uh, my guess is is that not only your experience in the public sector will be really helpful, but your experiences in floating, both of those things will probably allow you to start to develop uh, effective relationships and coalitions within your business. Oh, definitely. I think there's definitely a symbiotic relationship between floating, which is helping me to know myself on a deeper level, know my insecurities, know my defense mechanisms, how they're triggered, so on and so forth, and how I deal with people. Because again... <laughs> Regardless of what occupational environment you're in, perception is very important. But to me, it's helping me to sharpen my skills between making sure that I'm perceived in a professional manner and as such taken seriously, but at the same time not to worry or think too much about things that are not important. So it's really helping me to find that finer balance either professionally and professionally and personally with the relationships that matter, like my, my family and my friends, but also my coworkers, potential mentors, so on and so forth. Yeah, and it allows you to actually see them, whereas before, maybe earlier in your life or when you were faster in your mind, you may have not even noticed that friends were actually there or mentors were actually there. And now that you're starting to slow down more, you're actually probably going to recognize those people, hopefully, and be like, hey, you know, that's probably a person I want to get to know. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's a good person or and you'll be more uh, vigilant and you'll have a greater ability to see more of, of what's really going on. So. Yeah, I definitely agree. And it sort of relates back to what I said earlier about me cutting cords because I'm starting to see people, as you were saying, for what they are. And through this process, I began to see that there were certain people that I considered friends that were never really my friends, but also vice versa, there's certain people that I kept at arm's length for reasons that I really didn't understand, which are mostly either insecurity or defensive, like, wow, this person really is a good person. Or really, oh, wow, well, this person really isn't a bad person. They're actually very sad. You know, actually, this person is kind of lonely. So you really begin to see people, as you were saying, for what they are, and you, you sort of like start to align your social networks to the way that they should be. And it's not about necessarily keeping people around for for what I can potentially benefit from, but having the right people around to draw the, the picture. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in the middle of the picture, but the picture needs to be filled in, and it's the people that are around you. So I know who I can speak to, who I can count on, and life is becoming much less stressful because you, I found that not subconsciously, I would either worry or be concerned about the people around me. Is this person really my friend? Is this person okay? Is this person 
but now I start to realize that my, my thoughts are actually becoming more correct. Like, I know this person is my friend. Or if this person, we have a falling out, oh, well, I know this person is just having a hard day. So you, so you know how to deal with each situation in the in a more proper manner. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, again, it's, it's, it's about the relationship, whether it's in politics, whether it's friendships or, or whatever. But, um, well, thank you, Dwayne, so much for for coming on the iFloat Radio podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really appreciate it, and I think people are going to be enriched by what you have to share. I know I always am when you come in. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. So um, thank you again for, for being here, and thank you, everyone, for listening to our podcast. And uh, you can listen to us on the ifloatspa.net website or on iTunes. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a review on iTunes. We're trying to get the word out about floating. And this podcast is really meant to give people an idea of what floating is. And by listening to the different podcasts and listening to the different stories, we start to develop an understanding of the practical benefits of floating and how it can really, in my view, help shift our society by each person sorting out what's going on within themselves and enhancing their relationships with others. So keep listening to our podcast, keep floating, and we'll see you at the next podcast. Thank you so much. This has been a DSCT.TV production.